Please turn with me once more to that passage in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter number 6. In Isaiah chapter number 6, verse number 5 will be our text this evening. The words of Isaiah. Verse number 5, chapter number 6. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And our title for this evening's message is this, Seeing God as Holy. Seeing God as Holy. We live in a very beautiful Heart of the world, especially when it's sunny, especially when the weather shines forth in such a way to send a spotlight on how wonderful the part of the world we live in is. And of course, we give God the glory for all that because He made all these things that we see around us the mountains, the streams, the valleys. The clouds, all these things, how green and all the life that we see around us. It is breathtaking. But you may be here this evening and ask yourself the question in your mind, uh, is it really that pretty? Maybe you've lived here all your life and never gone away and come back and really appreciated how wonderful the countryside is. And appreciated how wonderful the mountains. You've got onto more mountains and in County Down, uh, Giants Causeway, all these things. How pretty they are! You may take them for granted because you see them every day. You may take these things for granted. There's a place in Cork where I grew up, and it's called the Lee Valley, and it's very pretty. And I grew up there, knowing what people said about it. But going, ah, it's not that special, is it? And you drive past it and not think very much of it. And looking back, thinking, no, it was absolutely gorgeous. But I drove past these places every day. I saw, but I didn't really see how wonderful it truly was. How true that can be of us as Christians. We see the wonderful things revealed in the scriptures. We see the heavens declare the glory of God on a daily basis and we can take these things for granted. The longer we're Christians, the more likely we are to almost lose that sense of awe. Where we are almost, we're speechless to the greatness and the power and the beauty of God. How glorious he is. How different he is from everything else in this world. You see, by God's grace, as we're going to look at this evening, that God is not like anything created in this world. And sometimes what's right in front of us is the thing that we can take the most for granted. It can happen to us even in our marriages, those who are married. We may not appreciate our husband or our wife, unless they're not there for a while. Maybe they're sick. And when they're not there for a while, a day of you struggle without them and then you really appreciate them again. What's right in front of us as believers is God Almighty. 
He is our great reward in this world and in the world to come. But perhaps you don't have eyes to see. And the scriptures warn about this. That among the people of God there can be those who do not have eyes to see. And have not yet seen that God is glorious and wonderful and beautiful. And actually still like the world see him as ugly. But he's not ugly. To see God as he is. Is really to fall down on our knees and glorify him. May we see what Isaiah saw this evening. God is holy. And who is Isaiah? In our text, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is a prophet of God. He is given a very difficult task. He's given a task of preaching this difficult message to a very difficult and stubborn people. A tremendous vision. One that changes him. So he says later, here am I, send me. Friend, have you seen him? Has he changed you? And if he's changed you in the past, does he continue to change you today? And the Scots for hundreds of years would talk about not just one conversion, but many conversions. May we see God afresh here this evening. So our first point is this, finite Number one, finite. Verse number five. Then said I, woe is me. Woe is me. What what has Isaiah seen? Or who has Isaiah seen? That he is saying, woe is me. He's seen a great and mighty king. He has seen power. He has seen glory. And too often... We can forget this part of when we approach God. We are little, small, finite, weak creatures of the dust of the earth. And we're coming before the great power of every single speck of dust in the universe. Every blade of grass that moves, even part of a centimeter, is under the control of this God we come to worship before. We've been made of the dust of the earth. We are so small. And we can forget when we're coming before God. We are the creatures. And he is the creator. We are needy. God is not needy. God is all sufficient. God has everything he could ever need. Before the foundation of the world. Before the world was ever made. Right now. And God is timeless. Changeless. You see we come before the one who needs nothing. And we are the ones who depend on him for everything. For every single breath that has gone in and out of your lungs during the service of worship, you depend on God. For every single time your heart is beating, you depend on God. Every single time you've taken a step to and from the car, everything, it all depends on God. See, we have limits if we have difficulties, our health is bad, maybe we can't come out to the service. We have limits, don't we? We have limits on what we can do. You're sick, you have to go to bed for a while. God never, he, he doesn't have limits. And we struggle with that. You see, we change, we suffer, we have pain. And in, the, in their own selves, none of these things are necessarily sinful. 
Jesus himself uh, became man. He changed in his human nature. He suffered. He had pain. But at the same time, when we come before the infinite God, we depend on him. And there's something we need to also remember as well. When Isaiah is saying, woe is me. I think we're thinking about the obvious one of sin. Yes, we will get there. But before we've looked at that even, what do we often forget? God is not like us. Yes, we've been created in the image of God. But God is holy. What's the word holy mean? Holy means set apart. Different. If you think of the Sabbath day, for example, that is a holy day. It has been set aside from the other seven days of the week. It is different. The other six days of the week are common days in which we work and we do all the other things. We, we can do our hobbies. We can play sports. We can do all the things, other things, in the right place. But the Sabbath day is set apart. It is different. It is a special day. So holiness is not just about, yes, it's about purity and all other things. Yes, it is. But it's really to talk about set apart. God is not common. God is special. God is different. God is holy. And he is separate and different from everything we see in this world. Everything we see. And it's the biggest temptation we will always have. We will want to compare God with something we see in this fallen world. God has not been made with hands. And as soon as we act like he is, we have an idol. You see, Isaiah sees this more fully. And he says, woe is me. Isaiah 46 and verse 5. Isaiah chapter 46 and verse number 5. To whom will he liken me and make me equal and compare me? That we may be like and compare me. To whom would he liken me? What is there in this world that you can compare to God? In Isaiah 40 verse 18. Isaiah 40 and verse 18. To whom then will he liken God? Or what likeness will ye compare unto him? And this warning is given time and time again. In the midst of the burning bush. You saw no manner of similitude. There's no likeness. So that we would worship things made in this world. And Moses warns them. Told by God. God is not common. God is holy. God is special. God is different. God is different to anything in this world. When we come to worship. We're coming into the holy of holies. We're coming into a special place. We're coming into a place that's been set aside. It's different. Worship can never be just a social gathering. Worship cannot be casual. Because God is not common. He is holy. He is different. And clearly when we come into the presence of Almighty God, we have to act differently, don't we? then, okay, we can have chats and we can have jokes around the table after food and things like that, but they're wholly inappropriate at times during the worship service. 
it, it, what is going on here when we come into the presence of Almighty God is different. It is different. It even led to our forefathers in uh, the directory of public worship. These were people who drew up the, the Westminster Confession of Faith. He said, they said, they wrote this, Let all enter the assembly, not irreverently, but in a grave and seemingly manner. The manner in which we enter into worship must be different to the which we enter into anything else. Because it's so special. Because God is so special. Because what will happen? Worship will become about entertainment. Worship will become about man. Worship will become about what makes man comfortable. If, and look, we, we welcome, don't we? Anybody who would like to visit our churches? We welcome them. Come. Unbeliever and believer alike. But we must not change the worship of Almighty God to make the unbeliever comfortable. The unbeliever is never going to be comfortable in a service of worship until they look to Jesus. They're never going to be comfortable. And there's a good thing about that. It challenges them. It talks about how God is different, holy, not like anything else in this world. And as it says in Isaiah 6 verse 3, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy. And this idea is really kind of the greatest, most holy. This is repeated over and over again because God is so holy. Is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The idea is here. His glory cannot be contained by anything, by anyone. You go a billion miles in that direction. You go a billion miles in the other direction. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He cannot be contained by anything or anyone. His power is limitless. This is the God whom Isaiah has a glimpse of. And he cries out, woe is me. That he is separate. He is different. Infinite in holiness. And even that word infinite. We said the word at the beginning, finite and infinite. We don't really understand that, do we? We've never ever seen anything in this world that doesn't have a beginning. Everything in this world has a beginning. All of them have a beginning and they will all have an end. They are finite. We have a beginning. We will have an end. We have limits. And anything we've seen in this world has a limit. But God does not. And Isaiah cries out, I am undone. Woe is me, for I am undone. Literally, is I am cut off. I am cut off. I am, you could even say, I am ruined. I am desolate. He sees God in his power and his glory, and there's a, there's a picture of his great strength and his voice moved at the, it says in verse 4, and the posts of the door moved at the voice of him. There's great power on display here. Isaiah is almost brought to silence. Awe, wonder. Our God is incomprehensible. Not unknowable, but incomprehensible. We cannot wrap our minds around how amazing and how special and how different God is from creatures. Let's give you one way that that works out. 
For example, we love. You love your children, you love your grandchildren. But that love will go up and that love will go down. One minute you're angry, the next minute you're sad. God is not like that. God is not prone, God does not change. God is not affected by anything or anyone around him. God is in complete control. God is love. He is the very definition of what love is. And you're so, oh, I'm struggling with this. Well, friends, that's what leaves us so speechless at the presence of God. If it was a God we could completely wrap our minds around and measure and you know, calculate how he could do this, uh, he wouldn't be worthy of our worship. And he wouldn't bring this response from Isaiah. Woe is me for I am undone. Woe is me I am cut off. Woe is me I am in the presence of magnitude of majesty. And so often we can fail to see that. The temptation, be reminded of the temptation. And it's why in the scriptures, we can often say what God is not. He does not have limits. Rather than what he is, because he's so great. He's infinite. Woe unto us creatures, we are frail. We depend on God. And it brings us to worship. It brings us to depend on the words that God has given us to describe him. It's why we don't invent anything any way in worship other than what has been prescribed in the word of God because we will make a mess of it. That's what we will do. We are sinners of the dust of the earth. And he also, we also talked about how God loves and God is love. God loves that which is pleasing before him. God loves that which is righteous. God loves that which is pure. And he's never going to change that. He cannot change that. So how can we come into the presence of Almighty God? It's only through Jesus Christ. We must at first see, woe is me for I am undone. Woe is me for I am undone. Even in verse 2, if you look at this text in verse number 2, the seraphims, these very impressive creatures, these mighty angels... They can't even look upon the greatness. It says in verse 2, Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. And with twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. He covered his face. It's just too glorious to even be old. It's too glorious to even look upon. The radiance and the shine and the glory of God. And these are the most impressive of all creatures and Isaiah is like, woe is me. I am undone. We must not make God common. God, in our, all of our thoughts, God must be special. God must be high and lifted up. And that's even before we've gotten to our next point, which is fallen. We're finite. We're also fallen. Another reason Isaiah says this, woe is me. He's a finite creature. With limits. But he's also a sinner. He's also a sinner. And God is holy, holy, holy. And he's separate from his creation. But he's also separate from sin. He hates sin. 
He hated sin before the foundation of the world. He has a pure and holy righteous wrath against sin. This is God we're speaking of here. Wrath against such sin. Isaiah sees the holiness of God. And not only that, when he sees the holiness of God, imagine you're comparing, you see the brightness. Perhaps you've seen somebody just wash their car next door and you, know, you haven't washed your car maybe in a few months and it's really dirty. And as soon as they do that, you see the shine off that other car and you're like, I better do that today. The comparison becomes far more glaring. And so it is. When we compare ourselves with God, yeah, if we compare ourselves with our neighbor, well, not that bad. And people will often compare themselves, well, I'm not as bad as Hitler. So they'll compare themselves with somebody who's horrible. And they'll say, well, I'm a little bit more better than they are. Whatever the truth may be of our being better than anyone else, the standard is God. And when we compare ourselves with God, we will say this, woe is me for I am undone. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. The more we see of the holiness of God, the more we'll also see of the impurity of our own hearts. The, the further we move along in our Christian walk, actually, we'll actually wonder at times, have I become more of a sinner? And there's actually times when you'll actually just be seeing more of your own sin. And it will grieve you more as you grow. Because you're going to see things you didn't see in the past. And you're going to see more of the goodness. And you're going to have a greater motivation for loving God and shunning sin. It's not, it's not just going to be about, I'm going to do this so I avoid hell. <clears throat> I'm going to do this because it pleases God. And I'm going to avoid this because God hates it. It displeases my Father in heaven. See, this is what we have to see. Because otherwise we're going to be in danger of playing with sin. Pride is such a dangerous thing. The devil fell. Through pride. He was beautiful. Impressive. He shone. But not as much as God. And as soon as we play with sin. It's just like playing with fire. It will devour us. Sin destroys. And we play with sin. When we see less and less. Of how radiant God is. In his purity. See what will happen is we'll downplay sin. We'll say oh, that, that's not so bad. Friend, we may not see the consequences just yet of our sin in this world. But they do have consequences. And we must always think about that. We must see God as holy. We must see God as pure. We're not just trying to win an argument with an unbeliever. We're not just trying to fill our churches. We would love, of course, if more people came. That would be wonderful. But that's not... Even our primary motivation. We want to see God more purely. And we want to tell other people about that holy God. And when people see that holy God. They realize. Woe is me for I am undone. Woe is me for I am silent. I cannot anymore make excuses for my sin. See what will fallen man do. Fallen man. As soon as he's confronted with his sin. He will say. But, but, but. 
you don't know why I did that. And all the, automatically you come back, the fallen man comes with an impulse to defend himself and defend his honor where really we ought to be rendered silent without excuse before God and realizing, no, no, he is holy, holy, holy. And I am a man of unclean lips. I can't bring excuses before the throne of God. You see, in ourselves, we're not blessed. In ourselves, we are cut off. We're cut off from the, the source of life itself in ourselves. But by grace alone is that changed. There is a sense we are unable to speak in its fullness of the greatness of God's purity. Isaiah was unclean. The people of God in that day in which he was going to be sent to speak to them. They were the people of God on earth, by the way. I think we, we can forget about this. These were the people of God that he was speaking of. You had just one group of people of God and the nations were all unbelievers. And he says of them, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He doesn't just see his own sin. And we must see our own sin first, because we, we become self-righteous otherwise. But he sees the need for repentance. There were, there were times during the Reformation in Scotland, after the death of John Knox, that they would have seen various points in time when they drifted away from what they promised before God, when they drifted away from, from their confession of faith, when they drifted away from all these things, and when they saw them at the General Assembly and other times, they wept. They wept. And how did they weep over such things? Because they saw afresh the holiness of God. See, well, when we see a fresh glimpse of the holiness of God, the purity of God, we're not just going to think, I'm fine. I'm fine as I am. Praise God, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. But at the same time, there's also another sense, we are not content where we are. We wish to be closer to Him. We wish to be more conformed, yes, in this world. Not for even primarily our own benefit, but for the glory of God. We see how unworthy we are. We see how special he is in his cleanliness, his moral cleanliness. Isaiah 35 and verse 8. Isaiah 35 and verse number 8. And the, whole, the word of God reads, And a highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those. The wavering men, though fools, shall not err therein, but the unclean shall not pass over it. The way of holiness. It says also in Isaiah 52, in verse 1. Isaiah 52, in verse number 1. Awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion. Put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem. For the holy city, for henceforth... There shall no more come into thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. 
He's essentially saying, I am unworthy to come into thy presence, O Lord. I am not worthy. I am undone. I am ruined. Do you see why he's saying this? He's saying this because he sees the greatness of God, but he also sees the greatness of his moral purity. In order to come into the presence of God, we too need to be clothed in purity. We too need to be washed clean. And that's only by the blood of the Lamb, isn't it? That's the only way we can come into the presence of God. But it must begin first with this. I am a man of unclean lips. And he's been given a great privilege, hasn't he? Isaiah has been given a great privilege. But he sees his unworthiness. He sees that he falls short. He does not make the excuse, I am a good person. Now there's many people who go to churches across both these islands, whether they live in Northern Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, Scotland, England, or in Wales. Deep down they think they're a good person. And part of their being a good person is going to church once a week or whatever they do. That's what they think. If you press them on it, they don't see themselves as sinners. Do you see yourself as a sinner? Do you see yourself when you come into the presence of God, woe is me for I am undone? We're not worthy. If we got what we deserve, we would go straight to hell for all eternity and justly and rightly. But we don't get that. That's mercy. It's God's kindness. And actually, it's not just that we avoid hell, it's far more than that. He pours out his abundant goodness upon us. Why? Because we're not just morally neutral. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. When he looks upon his son and says, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Here is the one in whom I delight. And if you're in Christ Jesus, he delights in you. Very different. But it must start here. It must surely Start here, that you would not make excuses for your sin, but you would look to the Savior, the King of glory, and see him for what he is, for who he is. Our third point, and our final point this evening, is faith. Faith. So, finite, fallen faith. So, we are finite, we are small creatures. We are fallen, and this is why Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am undone. How can we see, how can we see God? How can we gaze upon God? How can we hear, look and see him? By faith and by faith alone. In this world, by faith and by faith alone. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us that we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. Isaiah says, For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And we look to the Lord of hosts. We look to Him through Jesus Christ, His Son. And when we look to Him that way, we are saved. And faith, what is it? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It says in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, 
and verse number 1. Now, by, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Not seen. In this world we walk by faith and not by sight. In the world to come we will walk, we will see. We will see him as he is. That's a wonderful thing to look forward to. But we must focus on this part here. We, we can't just stop and I'm, I'm unworthy. I'm unclean. We can't just stop there because Judas stopped there. Judas saw at the end of his life that he sinned. He couldn't deal with his guilt. But he didn't look to the Savior. He didn't look to Jesus Christ. You see, if we just see we're a sinner, we are utterly hopeless. It's why we live in the world. Filled with people who try to drink away their conscience, who take drugs and do all these things because their conscience is at them. You'll find a lot of people with addiction backgrounds, they've done something in their past and they, they want to forget it. They don't want to be remembered, they don't want to be reminded of it. And to suppress that memory, they do all sorts of things to get rid of it. Judas couldn't face his guilt. We must look to the Savior. Isaiah 45 and verse 22. Isaiah 45 and verse number 22. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. Look unto me. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Look. See. Behold. Him as he is. It's so simple. Look by faith. But if we look by faith, we also see the heinousness of sin and we also run away from it. Do you see that? If we see the beauty of the Lord, if we have our eyes open to how wonderful he is. Well, what are we going to think about sin? It's almost like, okay, say you've gotten used to living in a clean house. You've, just, you've tidied it for a few months. You've gotten used to it being clean and tidy and squared away. All of a sudden, you go away for a month. You come back and it's all messy again. You don't enjoy it very much, do you? When you get, when you see God and his purity, You'll no longer be satisfied with your sin. You'll no longer be satisfied with that. And friends, one day we're going to see him as he is. There's a sense in which we can't wrap our minds around that. But we're going to see him as he is. We, we can only glimpse at his beauty here. But we're going to see him as he is. In First John chapter 3 and verse 22 it speaks about that. 1 John, chapter 3, and verse 2. The word of God reads, Behold, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we 
shall see him as he is. We're going to see him far, far more than we do in this world. We see him today by faith imperfectly. We see but the glimpse and we love that. But can you imagine how much greater it's going to be in eternity? What we have to look forward to. In this world by faith, but in the world to come, we will see him. And it's going to be so wonderful, we won't be able to take our eyes off him. Have you ever seen something that is so shiny and clean and pristine and you just, every now and again, it just keeps catching your eye. Your, your focus is continually drawn away from other things. And you begin to focus on that one thing. Because it is so beautiful. You won't be able to take your eyes off the Lord in eternity. And that is an encouragement, isn't it? For we who here in this world love him imperfectly. None of us love him perfectly. None of us serve him as much as we ought to. Our faith is never going to be perfect. The faith could be small and the smallest amount of faith. But do you have faith? Do you see him? Do you look to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you saved by him? Or are you trusting in yourself? Do you see him? By faith. By faith, this wonderful king, this powerful king of hosts. We have a dog, she's half collie. And she's absolutely fixated Upon tennis balls. If you absolutely, if you move the tennis ball over here, it's over there. Move it over there. She moves it over there. You throw it. Even if you threw it off a cliff, she'd jump for it. She so focused and fixed on that one object that it doesn't matter what's going on around her. She pays no attention to it. She doesn't see everything else that's going on. She's also very afraid of dogs. And if there's not a dog around her, she doesn't pay any attention to that dog. She looks at the tennis ball. Why do I say that? If we're looking to Jesus, we're not going to be as fixated on everything else, will we? Yes, we believe. Yes, praise God, we're going to heaven if we've trusted in him. But we wish to grow in that faith, don't we? We wish to grow in that so that the devil, even in our walk, would not rob you of precious assurance that you truly are a believer. See, you can fall into all sorts of sins as a believer. It's not just about getting saved. Well, no, it's about growing and going on and advancing and glorifying the Lord in your life because that's a wonderful thing. Why would you want to do anything else? So no matter the challenges and the struggles you're going to face, we must have our eye fixated, focused on the Lord. So that whatever, there may be troubles around us. We don't see them. Our eye will not be drawn to them. Sometimes they will be. But they'll rob us of joy. They'll rob us of assurance. But the difference, friends, is this. The Lord delivers from all. The Lord is most powerful and glorious. In conclusion, there's a great need for the church in our day to see God as holy. 
And the great pressure we face today, and this is not just new to today, is to see God as common. To view what we do here in the worship service of God as common. It's just like anything else. Just a group of people getting together, having some fun. It's not that. It can't be. That is to bring God down from above and to no longer see him as special and different. And that's the modern trend. To compare God to everything that they see around them. But God is special. God is wonderful. Powerful, glorious, captivating. When we see him, our eyes will be fixed upon him. The problem is we, we think sometimes we've learned enough about God. And we're going to learn about other things. I would encourage you, friends, learn about who God is. I did it in the last couple of years more and more than I did in my early years. I wish I did it earlier. Who is God? How is he different to us? In what way is he not limited? In what way does he not change? All these things. And as we grow to see him more, our eyes will be focused upon him, seeing him as holy. We're created in the image of God. And why have we been made? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Let us pray now before Almighty God.